to make of those who say they believe in Christ. They say they believe, but there is no evidence of truth. What are we to make of this? I mean, we, we can follow that up. What do we make of those people who once appeared to be following in Christ, but are no longer following him? What do we conclude? What do we do with that? And it's ever important as we come nearer to death, because we always like to promise someone the assurance of heaven. We always like to promise them the hope of glory. But what about those who have never evidenced any fruit in their lives? They profess with their lips, but there's never been any evidence. Or those who maybe, as I said before, they started off, and it looked as though they were following Christ. But now there's no evidence of that any, any longer. Perhaps you know somebody like this. Perhaps it's a friend, a loved one, a child. You know, Jesus spoke directly about this. In John chapter 8, if you've been going through the Gospel of John with us, we covered this back in John chapter 8. In verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you keep, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then in John chapter 15, verse 16, we see something amazing. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I want you to think about just salvation by itself. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is generated by the Father who would draw us to his, by his Spirit to Christ. It is a work of him. Jesus said, I chose you. There's great hope in that. That he chose you. And if he chose you, guess what? He's going to use you to bear fruit. And what does fruit do? It glorifies God. It brings him all honor and glory. This morning we're looking at a sermon titled Abiding in Christ. We hear that often we use that lingo, that Christian lingo. What does that actually mean to abide in Christ? If you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope you do, if you would open up to John chapter 15, we're continuing our study this morning through the Gospel of John, we're all the way up to chapter 15, which is a beautiful, beautiful chapter, as was the rest of the chapter, or the rest of the book, but not like everything else, we just throw apart and just get rid of it. But Jesus is going to give a great metaphor this morning about the vine and the branches. So John chapter 15, we'll look at the first eight verses this morning. I'll read it. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch 
and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. May God bless this reading of his word. Now, most likely, as I read through that and you looked at it, there were probably things that jumped out to you. Maybe some specific things that jumped out. But what we're looking at here is a metaphor that Jesus lays out, and we should quickly identify the characters in this metaphor. The vine, we know, is Jesus. The vine dresser is God the Father. The fruit-bearing branches are genuine believers, and the non-fruit-bearing branches are not genuine believers. As simply as I can put it there. Jesus the vine, the vine dressers, God the Father, those that bear fruit are the genuine believers, and the branches that don't bear fruit are not genuine believers. Now, there's some people who read this passage and these words of Christ, and they assume, does this mean that a person can lose their salvation? By no means is Jesus applying in this metaphor that a person can lose their salvation. He's not saying that a genuinely saved person who does not produce uh, works or good deeds will lose their salvation. Jesus, we already read in John chapter 10, we've studied this before, Jesus said this as an assurance of security. He says, I give them eternal life, which is John 10, 28, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are a believer here this morning, you say, hallelujah, there is assurance in Jesus Christ that he will hold us fast. So here's what I want to happen this morning as we go through this metaphor. If you are a, a genuine believer this morning, I do not want you to be condemned by anything that's said this morning. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want you to be encouraged that he who began a good work will complete it. John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus also says a point of assurance, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. If you're his, guess what? You're his. You've been adopted in, and it's one and done. You are his. So what is Jesus saying in this metaphor when he talks about these branches that are going to be cut off and thrown in the fire? saying that there's going to be those who might profess the name who aren't genuine believers. Jesus is saying in this metaphor that a genuine believer will produce good fruit. It's inevitable. Look, the Bible says if you're a believer here this morning, the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you were here last Sunday, that's what we studied, the Holy Spirit. That you have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. And that spirit of Christ will generate and do good works that God has created you to do. But those who don't produce good works, this metaphor is telling us they're simply not converted. They're not saved. Look, if, if the gospel hasn't changed you, the gospel hasn't saved you. The gospel is good news, and it's good news that there's transformation in Christ. That the old person is gone and there's a new person in Christ. A new creation. 
But there are those who will profess the name of Jesus, even calling him Lord. And they are much like Judas. If you remember the context we're in, Jesus was addressing his disciples in the other upper room. And he said, one of you will betray me. And we know Judas ends up getting up and leaving, and he's on his way to betray him. Then they left the upper room, and Jesus is teaching them on their way out. And he's talking about this, this metaphor. As he continues to teach the eleven, Judas was the type of branch you see that's cut off and good for nothing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says this. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are, or that they all are not of us. You say, well, it sounds like the same thing said a few times over and over again. A believer will persevere to the end. A genuine believer called perseverance of the saints. They will make it. What God has started, he will finish. And if they had not finished, as they say here, they didn't finish the race, but they weren't genuinely converted. Jesus starts off in this metaphor. He says, I am the true vine. I am. This is the seventh I am, seventh and last I am statement that John records. Again, if you've been here as we've gone through, we've seen these statements, I am. Remember the Old Testament? Who said I am? Tell them I am sent you. Jesus claimed his deity here. We saw in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 7, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door to the sheep. Again, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Oh, what wonderful hope there is in Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And in our text this morning, John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and the Father each of these I am statements points to his deity. Each one is a metaphor that elevates Jesus to the level of creator, of sustainer, of savior, of Lord. Titles that can only be claimed by God. That's our Jesus. Again, here in verse 1, he says he is the true vine. He doesn't just say I am the vine. He says I am the true vine. Those of you familiar with the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as God's vine. And he used Israel to accomplish his purposes in the world. And he blessed those who were connected with Israel. God was the vine dresser. He cared for the vine. He trimmed it. He cut off the branches that did not bear fruit. But now there is a new vine. No longer blessing comes to a covenantal relationship with Israel, but fruit and blessing come through connection with Jesus. Abiding in Christ. Jesus is the true vine. In scripture, this word true, it's often used to describe things that are eternal, things that are heavenly, things that are divine. Israel was imperfect, but Christ is perfect. 
Israel was the type, but Christ is the reality. He is the true vine. Look with me at verse 2. He goes on, Jesus says in this metaphor, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, I, I've got to admit to you, I'm horrible when it comes to plants. We had somebody over our house recently, and I told him, I can kill a fake plant. <laughs> and if you don't believe me, I remember a previous house we had, we had a fake plant in the kitchen. It had so much dust on it up in the corner, I'm pretty sure it died as a fake plant. In our backyard, we have a bunch of fruit trees that if anybody comes over who knows about plants and trees, they would say, what is wrong with you guys? You need to take care of these. I'm looking at Phil, who, is, who has a great thumb, and he's got wonderfully producing trees, but he knows something important about those trees. And he has to prune them. And they take work. All right, that's okay. So those trees just sit there, and they do their thing, and little suckers come up from the bottom, and take all, they suck all the nutrients, and everything from the tree. But Jesus here says that there are branches, and there's some that need to be cut off, some that are robbing that, that tree, that, excuse me, that, excuse me, it's actually a plant, robbing that plant from the nutrients, and there's others that need to be pruned so they can bear more fruit. The disciples, as Jesus said this, were very familiar with the role of a vine dresser. They were very familiar with that. After a vine was planted, and again, this was news to me because I don't do any of this stuff. But a vine dresser had two duties. Apparently, I'm not a vine dresser. <laughs> First, he cuts off fruitless branches. Cuts off fruitless branches, which take away sap from the fruit-bearing branches. If sap is wasted, the plant will bear less fruit. Secondly, the vine dresser constantly trimmed shoots from the branches that are actually bearing fruit so that the sap is concentrated on fruit-bearing branches so it goes to those areas. So again, the first job of the vine dresser is to cut off the branches that are bearing fruit. The second one is to prune fruitful branches. We're going to see how this plays out in this metaphor. Again, Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Look down in the text of verse 6. John 15, 6, Jesus goes back to this idea, and he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown to the fire, and burned. Stop there for a second. Is he just talking about branches on a plant? No, he's talking about people. What do you think the end of these people is? said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 19, it says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up, taken out. And one that you guys are probably very familiar with, Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 12, he said, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, cut off, and thrown into the fire. Those who are removed, they have only appeared to be connected to Christ. Think about Judas. This is the context of what we just went through in the Gospel of John. 
When Jesus says, one of you will betray me, do you remember what all the disciples did? I would have assumed they would have all pointed to Judas. That we knew it. Judas-like touch. Had an appearance, but wasn't genuine. They don't abide in Christ. They were never saved. The Judas branches. They don't truly follow Jesus. And they bear no real fruit. Is it possible for someone to appear to do good things? Do you know even in our culture we would say, that person's really a good person. You know, we completely contradict what the Bible says? Or have you ever maybe said this or heard someone say, that person has a good heart? Do you know we're completely contradicting what the Bible says? The Bible says one of you. Jesus said, somebody didn't call me good. There's one who's good, the Father. The other Jesus is perfect. The vine dresser, one, cuts off those branches that aren't producing anything. But his second duty is to prune fruit-bearing branches. Which, by the way, church, if this morning you're here as a genuine believer, put it up your ears. Because there's pruning going on in your life. Fruit-bearing branches are pruned so they'll bear more fruit. In Scripture, we know these branches represent Christians because only Christians can bear real fruit. That's what about pruning. And, and I'd ask Phil, Phil's a, a great gun, but I would say, Phil, you only prune once and that's done with that tree or that plant? No. It's ongoing. It keeps going on and on. As long as you want there to continue to be fruit being generated, it is a constant job of pruning. Well, guess what as a believer? That means God is going to be constantly and continuously pruning you. And he prunes you and he prunes me so that we would bear more fruit. It has to do with our spiritual lives. The Father will remove distractions, will remove sin, will remove all kinds of things that limit our fruitfulness. He also brings trials into our lives to increase our dependence upon him. I want you to think about this. When things are going perfectly well, and all is good, it's like I'm having a great day today. Oftentimes we forget about Forget to say thank you, Lord. Say, hey, there's no issues. I breathe okay. Everything's good. But all of a sudden, something with my health or something with my relationship, and it's, oh, Lord, help. Oh, Lord, help. The vine dresser prunes us with a vine dresser knife. And sometimes it hurts. I should say oftentimes it hurts. And we wonder at times, we question God, you know what you're doing? This hurts. And we question God and say, God, I love you. Why does this hurt? If you loved me, you wouldn't allow this to hurt so much. Hey, do you trust that God created all things? That he keeps everything together. That he sustains life and everything around us. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly as he prunes what he's producing in you. And it may seem that we are the only branch that's getting pruned. 
in the thread go, why am I the only one that's going through this? None of the people around me are going through this. Know that God knows exactly what he's doing. That's what they're doing. Spiritual pruning takes on many forms. It takes on many forms. It may be sickness. It could be hardship. It could be loss of material possessions. It could be persecution or slander from non-Christians. For some, it could be a loss of a loved one, a grief over a relationship. It comes in many different forms. Some of you I have shared with recently when I got sick last Sunday. Had a fever doctors could not explain. They did all kinds of tests. And they couldn't explain. But what I had ministered to me is, do I trust in the sovereignty? anxious and stressed out of all these things that need to get done. And so God put me on my back for a week so I could spend some time with him and to be reminded that he is in control. And that fever and that sickness out of me was not fun. I didn't sit there and enjoy it. But boy, did God minister to me through it. Boy, was it a time of being reminded of God's sovereignty, that God is in control. My daughter reminded me about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Thank you. be reminded of God takes care of all those things. He needs to take care of everything else, too. Do you know that before you were here, before I was here, God was? Do you know before you were here, before I was here, God was taking care of things? He was doing a really good job, as a matter of fact. And somehow we get here and think, well, I've got to do it. And it's him who works in us and through us for his good pleasure. So this pruning doesn't always feel good. It's not always enjoyable, but it always produces good. It's to strengthen us, to produce more quality fruit through us. And when God prunes us, we can be assured that he cares about us. And that he wants us to bear much fruit. He wants us to be free from all those shoots that drain life and energy out of us. His kingdom. Now think about this. God, who sustains the world and all people and all things, would care about you personally. To intercede in your life. To work in your personal life. Not just that this is a blanket that he just throws out over the earth. things in our life for no purpose. He has a plan. He allows us to experience these problems. He permits them as he has designed them for us so that we would bear more fruit. And he does it because he loves us. Oh man, when I hear that, I think of me as a kid. How many kids heard from their parents when they're going to be disciplined? I'm only doing this because I love you. When you're getting whooped on the high knee, you're not thinking about love. You're like, how is this an expression of love? I can't even sit for an hour. How is this love? But why would a parent discipline a child? Because of love. 
not fun for a parent to discipline a child? It hurts a parent to discipline a child. You want your children to be happy. You want them to enjoy life, but you know you must correct them so they don't go off into destruction. How much more would a heavenly father work in our lives? How much more would a perfect father come into us to correct us and prune us? He loves us. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He disciplines the one he loves. Think about that. If you're his, think him. Can it be pruned? It can be pruned. So the question is, as we have these trials that come into our life, these problems, do we look at them as God, what are you doing to me? Well, what's going on? Or do we say, God, you are loving my way, so you are doing something I don't fully comprehend, but I know you're working it together for good. Look, if we don't go with the mindset that we understand this loving God loves us and he knows what's going on in my life, when trials and difficulties come, our natural reaction is to say, God, what are you? God, what happened? Have I done something wrong? Have I offended you? Have I sinned? Have I done something that you would allow this in my life? When the answer surely could be, I love you. And I'm working on this for good. If we don't fall in the mindset that God is sovereign in control of all things, then we fall into self-pity. We fall into fear. We fall into anxiousness. We fall into complaining. It's one or the other. God, I know you're in control. God, I know you know what's going on. I know you're in the midst of this suffering. You're in the midst of this trial. You're in the midst of this emotion. And then that piece that comes along with the story is, well, God, what's wrong? Or it's, God, you disappeared. God, where are you? And we become anxious, we become fearful, and we forget about the sovereignty of God. God always has what he's done. He always has. Sometimes we just ask God, why me? Why me? But God, why now? God, you know everything else I've been through. Why now? Why me? Why do I have these problems now when it seems like nobody else is having them? Why me? Got an answer for you? Because he loves you. Because he's worked them in there. And it's just, look, I talked about when I was a kid. Do you know right now we're just bigger kids? I, I don't care how old you are. You're just the same kid, but you're bigger. And we still have the same mindset that when God prunes us, we think, well, how is that love me? Just like our parents had whooped us on the knee. We think, how is that love? Because he's correcting us. He's chastising us. That we would bear more fruit. So to think about this God who would love us want you to bear much fruit. Personally. You. Here's about you. Don't let me think that we have a God that is not just an impersonal God out there. It's so very personal. About you. Even your life. Hebrews 12, 7 encourages us to have a proper perspective on God's perfecting process. Hebrews 12, 7 says this. 
It is for discipline that we have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That means the legitimate son. The one whom the father loves. He obeys. And the purpose here, as he goes through this metaphor Jesus talks about, is to bear more fruit. Fruit bearing is evidence of salvation. That Christ dwells in us. And that we would shine for him. It's producing, it's walking in good works. We know from Ephesians chapter 2 that we are his workmanship. That we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does that mean? What does it mean is I don't have to sit there and go, what are we supposed to be doing to be evidence of good works? As Jesus will teach this metaphor, I have to abide in him. Put on Christ. To think about him. He's already prepared the good works. If when I walk in him, or when I walk in him, those things will come to fruition. I'll produce good works. James argues this. James says in James 2.17, he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Which means genuine believers will produce good fruit. Every Christian will produce good fruit. Remember we started off with that question? What are we to do with someone who professes to believe a believer but has no evidence of it? According to the scripture, every believer will produce good fruit. Every believer. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 and 17. Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Here's the beauty of it. Christians bear good fruit because of Christ. Not because they're trying to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and say, today's going to be a better day. Yesterday I blew it, so today I'm going to give it my all. I walk in Christ. It's his spirit in me. It's him that's doing the work. It's Christ who dwells in the believer. That we ourselves would look back and go, oh my, that was totally God. That wasn't me. That's not the way that Robert would have responded. That's the way Christ would have responded. It's so that he would receive all honor and glory. Back into our metaphor that Jesus gives us in John chapter 15, verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I don't recall who it was, but recently someone was talking about a flower and how upset they get when they see flowers with bouquets. I thought, that's kind of weird. Most people like flowers. But they were upset because they said the person when they cut it, they killed it. They killed the flower. They cut it off. I want you to think about a vine coming up, a branch is coming up. If you remove that branch from that vine, what's that branch going to do? Nothing, right? It's going to wither, die, but it's not going to produce anything good. It must be attached to the vine. This is what Jesus is speaking of, is that we as believers are attached to the vine, to the source. And because we're attached to the source, all that's in that source will come out through the vine, or excuse me, through the branches. All that is there will come out. So 
live and to bear fruit. So how does that happen? Some of you might say, well, Pastor, I'm here this morning, and I believe I'm a genuine believer, but there's not as much fruit in my life as, as I think there should be. Well, what's your evaluation of that? What's your scale? Is it comparing yourself to another Christian? And going, well, that Christian is producing more than I am. Church, look, it's not a race. Nor is it a competition. We're to abide and remain in Christ. We're to have the Holy Spirit dwell in us and walk by His Spirit. And allow Him to produce good fruit in us. But when we start looking around and saying, well, they seem to have more. Now, there are some Christian disciplines that we can walk by the Spirit more diligently in. But it's not a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, when you wake in the morning, it's a great thing to say, good morning, Lord. It's a great thing. Because you have just risen from rest. And you can start the day with, good morning, Lord. Why, where is your mindset right when you rise? On the Lord. But if it is, oh my goodness, I'm late. Which is mine this morning. Got up early, kept resuming my study, went back to sleep, turned off my alarm, and then Betty called me. Thank you, Betty, for that phone call. Because I would have been more late if it wasn't for that phone call this morning. And as I look at my phone, it says Betty Bird. I, w- I do that. Hey, hello. You know you make your voice sound real good. And, and okay, like you were, did I wake you? I got to pull out. Well, yeah. So abiding in Christ. It's so quick that our mind goes left and right. It just goes with all these things. So, so what does it mean? What does it look like to abide in Christ? Well, primarily it's characterized by trust. I trust him. Now my trust is in him. It's characterized by prayer. Lord, I need you. Lord, good morning. And it's characterized by obedience. Now I have options before me. And one is unrighteousness, and one is righteousness. Lord, help me to abide and to walk in the path of righteousness through your spirit. Now, abiding in Christ demands worship. We love the Lord. It demands meditation on his word. You know, I've actually had somebody tell me this who professes to be a Christian. They said, I have read this once, and I don't need to read it again. Now, just by your response, I would assume you know that is not the truth. That the scripture says for the believer, we're to meditate on it day and night. That we're to memorize it, store it up in our hearts that we might not sin against him. But if I say I read it once, it, this is not Moby Dick. Oh, I know the story and it's over. This is the living word of God. Living and active. That for the believer, it is alive. And God ministers to the believer through it. To abide in Christ is to be in complete dependence upon him. Oh, Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, help us. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about the vine again. The branches. If the branch is not attached to that vine, guess what? Church, it's not because of you and it's not because of me, it's because of Christ. We're 
attached to him. He's the one that produces the fruit in us. He's the one. Skip down to verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. already looked at a similar statement like this in the last chapter. In, in chapter 14, verse 13, she said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Stop here for a second. When I was studying this, I just found this profound truth in this, and how much our prayer life would change if we realize that when we say in Jesus' name, that that's not just a magic formula we add to the end of a prayer. But it would be like saying, according to his will, according to his glory, for his glory, for his purpose. Man, how would I pray? How would my prayer life change? When Jesus says, here, look, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. He first says, if my words abide in me, meaning if that is my focus, it's to bring him glory. If your purpose, your pursuit is to bring him glory, guess what? Ask whatever you want that's going to bring him glory. He says, yeah. Now, Paul says, sometimes you ask me, ask me this. So when I say, Lord, give me a jet so I can fly around the world and preach the gospel. It's for your glory. I may not get that jet. But he has another means for me to share the gospel. Jesus here says that whatever you ask in my name, my purposes, my glory, my will, it will be given to you. And he ends with verse 8. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, this is the last verse. We're almost done school. What time is it? We're almost done. It is not, I have to go try to do a bunch of good deeds so that then I can be saved. That's not how it works. We come to Christ just as we are. He says, come to me, all you thirst and all you hunger. Come, receive salvation. Receive forgiveness of sins. But when we do that, he regenerates us. He gives us a new heart and a new desire. And what comes out of that is the evidence. It's fruit. Fruit. Jesus again here says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, let your light shine for others, that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's amazing. And God would use the same manner that people don't just look at me and say, oh, that guy, Robert, he's a good guy. And they say, wow, he's got a good job. They wouldn't just look at you and say, you're, you're a great gal or a great guy, but they would say, wow, you've got a great job. That God would use us in his kingdom for this reason. And we're given this idea to abide in Christ, to remain in him, to be constant in him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, whoever says he abides in him, in Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. To live like Christ. That's our aim. can't be a branch that's not attached to the vine. You've got to be attached to that vine to do that. Amen. Jesus says, apart from me, guess what? You can do nothing. Amen. 
nothing of good, nothing of eternal value, nothing of his will. You've got to be attached. I read this verse earlier, but I think it's so good to close with it. Be reminded, John chapter 15, verse 16. You, Jesus says, you did not choose me. You did not choose me. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. How many times, church, did he say, ask? Ask in my name. Ask according for my glory. How many abide? Lord, help me. Lord, help me be fruitful for you. And when we rise in the morning, good morning, Lord. Help me to bear much fruit for you. Help me to be constantly and consistently thinking upon you today. To live this day for your glory. Look, tomorrow will take care of itself. Right now. In this very moment, that I would bear much fruit for you. That you would be glorified. It's generated by him. It's empowered by him. And it's for him. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Simply ask. If you are a believer here this morning, the Bible says you will bear much fruit. And you will bring God glory. And if you're here this morning and you're a genuine believer, you think, well, there's not been much fruit in my life. There's some, but not much. Lord, help me today to live a life that's fruitful with you being upright. But if you're here this morning and you say, well, I have professed the name of Jesus, but I have never really evidenced any transformation. I've never evidenced any real fruit. I mean, I've tried to do good. I've tried to be good, but I always revert back to what I used to do. There's a good chance maybe that you're not still there. And Jesus Today, would invite you once again to come to him, to repent, to turn to him and trust in Christ alone. That everything he did on the cross, that it is finished. That he paid the price for you, a demonstration that he loves you, that you could be forgiven of all past sin, present sin, and future sin. And not only forgiven of sin, but then clothed with his righteousness. That Jesus came and fulfilled the law. He walked perfectly. And now that can be given to you. And experience today, that now you're that branch attached to that vine to produce good fruit. Help me believe it today. Turn to him. Receive him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage this morning, this metaphor that Jesus taught. What a brilliant teacher who would take oh, the vine and branches and use it as this illustration. Lord, apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, we can bear much fruit. So, Father, perhaps from this teaching of Christ this morning, there are some here who, at this very moment, are going through some pruning. And it's painful. And they're confused. They don't know why it's happening. But, Lord, your spirit will minister in the teaching of Christ this morning through the power of your spirit to let them know that you love them carefully, and that you're working right now in their lives. That you're going to work this pain, this emotion, this sorrow, you're going to work it to bring it to good. And that you're going to conform them more and more into the image of Christ. That they would bear more fruit. Father, for anyone here this morning who hears that a genuine Christian will bear fruit, 
And yet they look at their own life and say, yeah, I've professed the name of Christ. I've agreed with the facts about Christ. And yet there's no change in their life. I'm still the same person I've always been. Father, I pray now that your spirit would draw them unto yourself. That they would cry out to you in repentance, turning from themselves and turning to you. That they would receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And that, Father, you'd give them your spirit transformation would take place right now. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus.